Take your Bibles, if you would please, and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Now, next week, uh, I'll be giving my every four years <laughs> election message. No pastor wants to do it next week. Gary Hamrick did it last week over at Cornerstone. I'm sure many of you have heard his message. At least he's got it out of the way. Uh, and I've, I've called pastors, texted them, even, what are you planning, not necessarily what are you planning on saying, are you even going to address it? Many have said, not even going to touch it with a 10-foot pole, not worth it, not going to change anybody, it's just, it's just anger and vitriol, not going there. Learned my lesson four years ago or whatever. Uh, I will address it, I'll probably be coming from a little bit different angle, uh, but I think it's important because one of the things that concerns me is that there's a generational divide on politics a lot. And the younger generation looks at the older generation and says, how could you possibly vote this way? And the older generation says, how could you possibly vote that way? And there's a lot of vitriol and, and harsh rhetoric. And it's just, it's gotten so nasty. And if you know anything about the Enneagram, which is a test you can take, it has nine different personalities, and don't come to me later and say, oh, I read about it, it's mysticism, it's dangerous. No, it's not, it's just a test, like Myers-Briggs. I'm a nine on the Enneagram, and I am a peacemaker. I like to bring people together, not divide them. It's just kind of my thing. When I see a lot of anger, I want to pull things together. And by the way, of the nine personalities, it's the best personality to have. Just thought I'd let you know. Uh, at any rate, uh, we know that November 3rd is going to be a... Uh, a, a tough, tough day for half the nation or half the nation. Otherwise, it's, it's going to be a mess. So today, what I want to do is sort of help grease the skids a little bit on approaching that. Uh, for Christians, and if you're online watching, for you as well, to, that you may not be a believer, but just try to hear what I have to say. Though I won't be dealing so much with politics today, I'll be dealing a lot with our identity in Christ, not in politics um, the church has to lead the way. So I'd like you to look at Philippians chapter 1. The book of Philippians, if you're not terribly familiar, is a book of rejoicing and great joy. The Apostle Paul wrote many epistles, and his epistles are literally filled with many like one-liner statements, powerful statements about the person of Christ. And we're just going to look at this one verse, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Philippians 1 Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Lord, as we open up your word today and look at a number of passages dealing with our unity in you, the powerful unity in Christ, I do pray for our nation. I pray, Lord, that you would soften the blow, uh, Lord, to those that don't get their person in the way they want it. Uh, Lord, uh, take away the vitriol, the anger, the bitterness, and the poison that's all throughout our nation right now. I pray, Father, for um, when I think of uh, the uh, Spanish church in Reston that has lost their pastor, Lord, would you give them much grace during this very hard time, and for Miriam, his wife. Lord, as we pray, uh, just open our eyes, we behold wondrous things out of your law. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, through the years, I've, I've mentioned this before, I think that if you go back and you look at, at um, all the great names in Scripture, there seems to be uh, at least one verse 
that I would call a signature verse for that particular individual. Uh, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Uh, for Esther, if I perish, I perish. Uh, David is a man after God's own heart. Uh, you, you go back and you see all these different greats in Scripture, and many of them there seems to be one particular signature verse that sort of highlights their life. And there's a number for the Apostle Paul, but I, I really think this pretty much distills and summarizes Paul's thoughts in just these few words, for to me to live as Christ and to die is gain. And so today, I want to look at this subject matter of identity in Christ. I'm afraid it's become a little bit of a cliche in the Christian world when somebody says, oh, I see you're religious. You go to Reston Bible Church. I'm not religious. I have a relationship. That's what we often say. I'm not in, into religion. I have a relationship. But then ask yourself, do you really? Do you really have that relationship? Uh, is Christ really your all-consuming part of your life? It was for Paul. And this is to take us down sort of a road to look at Paul's life in several different places where he is literally overtaken by the person of Christ. He is so overtaken that if you were to go back and go through all of his epistles and circle the times that, that the word gospel is mentioned or Jesus or Christ are mentioned, it'd be overwhelming. When you get to 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul goes through a whole list of very difficult things that he went through, the shipwrecks and the beatings and everything, Christ is still exalted. Christ is still his, his life. Christ is the one that saw him through it. Christ is everything. Christ is his all in all. Through all things I can do, through Christ that strengthens me. All those kind of statements are sort of subliminal or subsets of this one in, in Philippians chapter 1. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So this isn't a this isn't a test, but it's a, it's a way of kind of looking at our lives and of finding out what would, we, what would we have to say if we had to fill in the blank, uh, my life is identified with what? What is it really identified with? Now, this doesn't mean that a person has to be talking about Jesus all day long or reading their Bibles all day long or meditating all the time, but it does mean it's a consuming thought, it's a consuming principle in your life that Christ is a part of your job, the entertainment that you watch, the places you go, the things that you do, the people you hang around. That's the idea. And Paul models this through his life and through his revelation that is given to us in the scriptures. So my, my sort of definition of being identified or having our identity is to be consumed with. That's what I'm thinking about, be consumed with. You can be consumed, as many are right now, with politics. I find myself getting consumed a little bit too much. You can, be, you can be consumed with your job. My job is my identity. You can be consumed with, with uh, your sexuality, your gender. That's a big thing today people are identifying with. You can be consumed with entertainment. You can be consumed with your looks. Click. You can be consumed with Facebook. You can be consumed with social media. There are so many places, so many things that are vying for our attention. And Paul literally beats to death that our identity is in Christ. 
not politics, not the next president, as important as those things are. Paul raises the issue of politics in Romans 13. It's in Scripture. But the consuming thought is that Christ is my life and that for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. We can become consumed with so many things, but we can only really be consumed with what we experience. We can only be consumed with what we really experience. For example, if you go off to college and you get a, you're assigned a college roommate, somebody that you didn't choose, the college chose for you, and after the first semester, you're thinking, this ain't my guy, or this isn't my, my person, you know. I, we, we don't get along, we don't have the same interest, uh, and we're both going to look for different roommates. And you wind up finding out about those people by maybe sports, a fraternity, a sorority, uh, uh, joining some sort of an inter, uh, intramural league or, or a campus crusade or you're sitting at a table. And all of a sudden you find that of all the thousands of people that are on campus and all of the, maybe, maybe you know 20 or 30 fairly well, you've now distilled it down to one or two people that you think, I'm really, I'm consumed with that person. And not in an unhealthy way, I just, I just really love to be around them. I like the way they think. We think a lot alike. Uh, I like their character, and I want to get to know them better. I'm literally consumed with wanting to spend more and more time with them and talk over meals and talk about life and talk about our plans. And all of us have people like that in our lives. I've got those that go all the way back to high school, college, people I still stay in touch with because I know them very, very well. And so we'll filter through all those people to get to one or two people that we're going to grow old together with, all the way down to the person that we marry or what have you. And with, with this in mind here, uh, if our identity is in something other than the person of Christ, all the people, all the jobs, all the entertainment, those things eventually disappear. Those things have a, have a shelf life. Our identity in Christ does not. It goes on forever and forever and forever. And so we can only really be consumed with somebody that we actually know. And we get to know him, certainly through prayer, certainly through the word, and other people that, that help us walk through life. But everything else will fade in this world. And when our identity fades, our hope fades. And you can't live very long without hope. You just can't. You can survive, but you can't really live without hope. And our hope is in Jesus. And we're going to look at several passages that Paul sort of highlights, uh, and, and maybe even one from the Old Testament, where, it, where, you, where there's this sense of just a craving to want to know the Lord more. And I think one of the things that I, sometimes I beat myself up with a little bit, and I, I shouldn't, but maybe in some respects I should, I have been around people, and I've met people, and there's nobody that is perfectly consumed with Christ. But I've been around people that I think are pretty close. Their every thought, they're, the, the way they do things, the way they think, they're not just always talking about Jesus all the time, but, but you can see that the way they view life, the way they see things, the lens through which they experience life is through the person of Christ. Going through a difficult time, and the context there, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, deals with just that. It isn't winning a football game, all right? And so, when you, when you begin to, to see people that have this, you're, I'm drawn to those people. They, they fascinate me, because I know that I'm not there yet, and I, and I continue to want to be. 
And I, and I do believe I have a passion to want to know him, but I think my passion could become far greater. And so this has been a, a good study for me as I've, as I've looked at this. So, Paul was consumed with Christ, the very person of Christ, Jesus. And in Philippians 1.21, when he says, when he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, I can get, I can understand the second part. To die is gain. Out of here. No more politics, no more sin. Gone, done, finished. In the new heavens, the new earth. I get that. But Paul says, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Get that. To live. To actually live is Christ. And, and that's what's so fascinating. And I think this is sort of why, in just these very few words, this becomes his, his signature verse. Because he talks in other places about his joy in Christ, his rejoicing in Christ, being an overcomer in Christ, being clothed with Christ. Statement after statement, it's always about Jesus. It's always about Christ, over and over and over again. And I... I just, wouldn't it be something if the Apostle Paul could just preach here this morning and we could just ask him, what does that look like? How do you get there? What's brought this? Why do some people have such a passion to want to know Christ and others it's just kind of, he's sort of on the back burner. What is that? When we as Christians see so many statements, so many powerful, passionate statements about the person of Christ, why wouldn't that just lead us on into a deeper and more powerful walk. And so when I think of, of these, uh, even this term, he is my all in all, all these statements. Here's another one, Colossians 1.21. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you ever go through Colossians, and don't ever be afraid to mark up your Bible, there's nothing holy about the pages or anything, it just, it's just pages of paper. Go through sometime and circle the number of times you see Christ or Jesus or the gospel in Paul's writings. But in Colossians, just the number of times. And so Paul says there's a mystery, something being revealed for the very first time. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Don't let those words just disappear. The word hope in Scripture is the is the strong, deliberate understanding of something you have the assurance is going to take place. It's not like, I hope it doesn't rain. It might, it might not. I hope my candidate gets in. No. When it talks about hope in Scripture, it's talking about a glorious anticipation of a reality that Scripture speaks of. And when it reveals this mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory, glory uh, with it carries the idea of weightiness weightiness, depth, richness, robustness. And so Christ in you, in me, in those that have put their faith in Christ, the hope of glory. And if you're watching today, these are strong words and words are weighed heavily in Scripture. And if you, as Brian said earlier, if you haven't become a Christian, I'm sort of walking through right now the importance of believers to understand what God has to say about our hope. Our hope, Christ in us, our hope of glory, meaning that the moment you put your faith in Christ, he indwelt you. He, he lives within us. These are hard things to grasp. They're not concepts 
their truths. I made the mistake years ago of talking to a wonderful elderly old man. I said, that's a wonderful concept. He said, it's not a concept. It's a truth. And he bit my head off. He was a very nice guy, though. At any rate, so we see these, these statements. Here's another one. Colossians 3, 4. Christ who is our life. Paul was consumed 24-7 with Christ who is my life or is our life. Now that's, an, that's a statement. And it's, it's, it's a true statement. It's a statement about believers. Christ who is my life. That's what it says. Do I believe it? Do I act upon it? Pause for a moment. You get your bank statement from your bank, and it says you have $1 million in your checking account. That eh, might be too much. At any rate, a million dollars in your savings account somewhere. And you go, wait a minute. Last time I checked, I had eight bucks. What do you mean a million dollars? You call the bank, and the bank says, yes, you have $1 million. Maybe somebody put it in there. Maybe you had something you didn't know. Maybe the CD grew, grew rapidly or something. And, and the bank says, yeah, you've got a million dollars. And you go, there's a mistake. There, there's a huge mistake. I, I, right here in my checkbook, I got eight bucks. And the bank says, well, I have news for you. We don't make mistakes here. We have accountants. We have CPAs. We have, we have to close the books at the end of the day. We can't be off by a penny. And I'm telling you, you have one million dollars in your account. Click. Do you believe the bank's account of your account or your account of your account? Because that's how you're going to live. If you think, I'm right, they're wrong, I've got eight bucks, that's how you're going to live. You're going to penny pinch, you're going to be worried about tomorrow. If you believe their account, you're going to buy a new house. <laughs> and of course, you're going to tithe, <clears throat> maybe give 20%. At any rate, but, but you know, things are going to change. And the bank is saying, this is what is true, but you can act upon what you think is true. And Paul is saying, Christ, who is our life. That's what it says. He is our life. He has, Paul says, for to me to live is Christ. Uh, Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says, Christ who is our life. How many ways can he say it? How many different facets can he drive home? And what he's trying to say is, are you going to take heaven's account of your account or your account of your account? Do you not understand that this is divine revelation of a Christian's life? And I look at this and I just go, I'm not there. I'm not th I want to be there, but I'm not there. But Paul can write this with real authority. This is what got Paul through the difficulties of life. The things he faced, the hardships. He knew who he was in Christ. He knew who Christ was in him. He, uh, he got this. This is why he recorded it the way he recorded it. Or Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now pause for a moment. You're reading that, you're just kind of going through. Pause. There are contradictions all through this thing. He says that I am crucified with Christ. 
That means when Christ died, I died. Nevertheless, I live. Whoa. Oh, Paul, come on. You're, I'm getting a headache here. What, you just got finished saying that you are crucified. We are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. Yet, not us, but Christ in us. Man, you could spend a month marinating on that text and never get to the bottom of it. Never get to the bottom of it. Paul is continuing to remind us that our whole life is Christ being lived out through us by God's grace and power. It's, it's a hard thing to grasp. And you have to have a passion to want to grasp it. And that's the problem. You have to, you have to want to grasp these truths. It's over and over and over again in Scripture. Powerful statements by the Apostle Paul that we sometimes can quote but don't necessarily uh, believe or, or live. And here's one of the main problems. We watch online, maybe, maybe every week, maybe every other week, maybe once a month. Or we come every week or once, once in a while. And then all the rest of the week, there's another gospel out there, the gospel of entertainment, the gospel of another identity. No, your, your identity is not in Christ. Your identity is in your job, your looks, your gender, your this, your that, your, who you are, how people think of you. That's your identity. And we're bombarded with that day after day after day. And then we come and get a shot in the arm, maybe at church or what have you, and, and it just it tends to fade. And so Paul is so passionate that when he's writing to some of these churches, sometimes he's correcting them. Like in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, there's a lot of correction because the people are putting their identity in so many other things. And Paul is coming along. Don't even put your identity in people. Don't say you're of Paul and you're of Apollos or you're of this or that. No, no. Your identity is in Christ. Over and over and over and over and over again. But the enemy is pulling as hard as he can. Psalm 42. As the deer pants after the water brook, so my soul thirsts after you, O God. Can we say that? I said we. I didn't say you. Can we say that? As the deer pants after the water brook, as he pants after it, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. Does your soul, does my soul thirst for God or thirst for all the other identities that are passing, that will never last, ever. Christ will last forever. He has been from ever, and he will be on forever. And this is why this is so important, because eternity starts now. It starts, it isn't when you die, it, it starts the day you put your faith in Christ. And all these statements, he indwells us, he, he's who we are. Our lives are, are, are filled with Christ and living out Christ's life. This does not mean you can't enjoy the things of this world. Certainly you can. But Christ is with you. He's with your entertainment. He's with your friends. He's with all the places you go and the people that you're with. And so it's so important to grasp that. Here are some questions to think about that I had to run through for my own life. And so if I suffer, you're going to suffer with me. Here we go. Do I have a passion to know Christ? Now just pause and ask yourself that. You don't need to, you know, you don't have to go from a scale from 1 to 10, but just really ask. Do I have a consuming passion? Not perfect, not 100%, but a real passion 
to know Christ and to make him known. Do I have that? Just, just pause and think about that. If you're online, just pause and think. Do the things of this world eclipse my desire for Christ? In other words, are there other identities that eclipse my passion for Christ? And it can be all these other things I mentioned. It can be your job, sports, this, that, whatever. All things that can be good, but not designed to eclipse our passion for Christ. Lastly, what are those things? What do you find that is getting in the way of a, a, an all-consuming passion for Christ? I know the cell phone, sometimes it'll pop up at the bottom. I don't know how to find it, but it'll show up and it'll say, if you've spent five hours and 47 minutes on your phone, and I'm thinking, yeah, over the last three months. No, today. And I'm going, that can't be true. Now, in my defense... I do, I do listen to a lot of podcasts, I take walks and so on, but also, I'm checking out the news. And I'm, I'm seeing one side says this, and one side says that, and I'm starting to read about COVID and all, and I'm getting myself all worked up, and all of a sudden, it doesn't mean I had to have spent all that time in prayer or meditation or reading my Bible, but there, it might have been with other people, it could have been any, anything that's, that's far more valuable than just getting myself all worked up with everything that's going on. And I, I, I think... I think Paul would probably say something like this. I know you're concerned. I know politics is important. But you have to realize, I was under the oppression of the Roman, uh, of the Roman Empire. I, I was living in, <laughs> in utter hell in comparison with what you're going through. But I found, I found that my way of escape, so to speak, and to be able to live my life out through the struggles and problems was I became consumed with the person of Christ. This is a long journey. You don't take a pill to get this. You don't say a prayer. God, give me a passion. You know, you, you, this is a journey. This is, this is that the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. They, didn't have, they did not have laser beams or flashlights in those days. They had foot lamps. You held the foot lamp out, it cast a radius of maybe Six feet, that's as far as you could see. Oh, there's a pothole, I better go, better go this way. Then once you step into that light, you have more light. And that's how it works. It's day after day after day. It's a journey. It's a pilgrimage. Day after day, walking with Jesus. Walking with the Lord. Finding that you can honestly say, my identity is in Christ. That you can honestly say, I don't have a religion, I have, I have a relationship. Not perfect, not perfect, but I mean coming more and more consumed by the day to know him in a deeper and richer way. How do I do this? What is the how to this? Well, certainly there is prayer. Lord, give me a, a, a passionate desire to know you. Lord, what are the things that are eclipsing that desire? Lord, open my eyes that I would behold wondrous things out of your law as I have my daily time in your word. Let me pause and meditate. Let me be around people that are further along than I am, sort of the Apostle Paul. And let me be around people where I'm bringing along and, and be with people that are an encouragement to you. Be with people that, that you look at and you admire their depths and their walk with the Lord. And people have it in different ways. Some people are prayer warriors. Some people are meditators. Some people are knowledgeable in the scriptures. There's a lot of different facets to it. But it's a step-by-step, day-by-day. November 3rd, is going to reveal the hearts of men and women.
It's going to reveal it. You're going to see on November 3rd just how angry this nation is. Whichever way it goes, you're going to see a lot of anger. And I, I, I pause and I think, as Christians, if we are angry, and if we're losing friends, and if we're losing family members, and it's our fault because we say, I'm never talking to you again because of this, and if we're using all kinds of angry rhetoric, we don't get this. We, we don't get this message. Because if you're walking with Christ, Christ really only got angry. Got angry a couple of times, but his main anger was not towards immoral people or drunkards. His main anger was towards hypocrites, people that played the part but didn't really live it. And this is what so many people in the world see. And they, maybe somebody's watching online they, and they're going, yeah, I get it. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's how I see it. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm saddened that we portray that. We should, it's a soft answer turns away wrath. Grievous words stir up anger. We should be the people that have a humble spirit as we move towards this. Consumed by Christ will turn political arguments into fruitful, humble dialogue. And there's going to be a lot of dialogue before and there's going to be a lot of dialogue after. Lots and lots of dialogue. So let me say that again. Consumed by Christ will turn political arguments into fruitful, humble dialogue. When we listen we learn. When generations and generations listen to one another, they learn. When they're consumed with Christ, things settle down. Things become calm. Things become civil. But not everybody's consumed with Christ. Not everybody knows Christ. And so, as I've been going through this, I'd like you to take a look at just one more passage. I'd like you to look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and I want you to look at verses 31 and 32, and we'll sort of wrap up with this. Ephesians chapter 4, when you start getting heated, here's what it says, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ in God forgave you. How clear can that be? Very clear. Politics, sexual issues, job, this, that, whatever, whatever the subject is, this is what God has called Christians to be in a world that's very angry and very upset. And as I direct these thoughts to perhaps those of you that are home and maybe will watch later or what have you. The reason this is so important is because when you read that list of bitterness and anger and wrath and malice and hatred and slander and all that, that's what the Bible calls sin. And that's what separates us from God. That's what separates us from, from Jesus. And we don't know what to do with that. We go to bed at night, we're mad because somebody's voting one way, we're upset about this and we called somebody a liar and all that kind of stuff and our brains are just saturated with all kinds of struggles and we don't know, where to, we don't know what to do with that. And so Jesus came to this, into this world to die to pay the penalty. The wages of sin is death. He paid that penalty and he rose again the third day to show that he had victory over all of that. And he invites you, if you're not a believer, he invites you to take all of that and dump it on him. He paid that price. 
He invites you to believe that he lived a perfectly righteous life that you can't live, that I can't live, and that he is going to give his righteousness and place it to your account. We've already talked about accounts. He's going to place it to your account. And he's going to take your sin and place it to his account. Are you going to believe his account of your account or your account of your account? What are you going to do with this? Because I came to the realization many years ago, 50 years ago, when I heard the gospel message, I believed it. And I took all of my sin and it, it, I saw it as being on, on Christ, his account. His righteousness placed to my account. It's actually, a, a, it's actually an accounting term in, in Scripture. So if you've never done that, if you've never called upon Christ to save you, today is the day of salvation. And I would encourage you, strongly encourage you, in a very difficult and tense time to call upon Christ and start walking with Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the privilege of knowing You and the privilege of making You known. And Lord, I would pray that any that are here, any that are watching online, that today would be the day that they would call upon the Lord Jesus that they might be saved, that they might be given everlasting life. And oh Lord, I look to our nation knowing from what I've already seen, the friction, the bitterness, the anger, the hatred. Lord, I would pray that this would not divide Christian homes, that we would understand that we see things differently, that we would be kind and tender, forgiving one another just as we have been forgiven that we would speak words that are edifying and encouraging to one another. Lord, I just pray, as I think of, of our nation and all the turmoil that it's in, I would pray that you would just sovereignly rule in this next election that is coming up and keep our nation safe. And Father, it's our desire that you be the one to receive all the glory. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.